Welcome to another episode of Restoring Your Voice with me, your host, Pastor David. So that so glad that you could join. And uh, just real quick before we start, let me just ask you, hey, click that subscribe button, click that share button, click that thumbs up button. Also, uh, if you would, if you feel like giving, if God puts you on your heart to give, then there are three ways in the description that you can give. And we appreciate any amount that you are able to give uh, to help keep this show going. All right, and today I'll be interviewing a guest, uh, Matthew Tilly. We'll be getting into some things about legalism and maybe whatever else the Lord leads us to. So uh, stay tuned. Welcome to the show. Restoring Your Voice. With me, your host, Pastor David. I'm going to help you. Use your God-given voice. I'm going to equip you for the good works of Jesus and prepare you for the return of Jesus. I'm going to do this through hitting up hot biblical topics, problem areas in the body of Christ, in the charismatic, in other areas of the body of Christ, in an attempt to help bring clarification, purity, consecration, in love and patience as the Bible commands. I'm going to have special guests on that are going to equip you and edify you through their stories that give God the glory where you'll get different viewpoints and different areas because we're all one body and we all have a piece of the puzzle to share with one another. So I look forward to you watching, listening, and interacting. All right, and with that, I'm going to bring my guest on now. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Hey there, David. Good to have good good to be here. I'm glad you're having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad we finally got to able able to do this with a bunch of different funky stuff going on. Absolutely. Good, good, good to do it. So I guess before we start, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your back, maybe a little bit about uh, your background and your ministry. Sure, sure. So um, my name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm currently uh, the interim pastor for Ellisboro Baptist Church in Madison, North Carolina. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, my ministry work now. Um, I have been both a bivocational and a full-time pastor over the last several years, um, and right now just doing interim work. Um, background uh, really come from the independent uh, Baptist uh, movement. That's what I grew up in. My father was a missionary, church planning missionary in Europe with uh, U.S. military um, in Germany, Belgium, uh, Scotland, England, a few other places like that. And uh, so I've been uh, been in that movement, but also uh, kind of really around church um, in some capacity uh, most of my life. All right. So, yeah, I guess what is I guess for those in the audience who don't know what uh, independent fundamentalist Baptist, a Baptist is, uh, can, can you explain that? Sure. So so it's at it's sort of most basic kind of historic perspective. It is um, a an offshoot of the Southern Baptist Convention. So the Southern Baptist uh uh, had a bit of a, a liberal bent that went that happened back in the 50s, 60s, 70s. You can you know go back and look at some of that history. And at that time, there were some people who separated out of that because of uh, some pretty strong fundamental beliefs about how the church should operate, doctrines, some of the things like fundamental doctrines like uh, the the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, things like that. Um, so that's where it started. And then there's a whole uh, group of churches now that are independent, meaning they're not associated with a particular denominational convention. Uh, they are arguably independently uh, operated. Um, they are often, especially when you add in the word fundamental, um, and that's the group that I tend to be part of, the independent fundamental group. Um, when you add that in there, there tends to be uh, sometimes right and sometimes not so right, but nonetheless, uh, a, a view of them being very legalistic on some topics, things like the, the version of the Bible that they use. So they're very King James only for the most part. Um, there's a lot of focus on dress, particularly for women. Um, some, some other things like that, that they, you know, I even grew up where you weren't allowed to uh, uh, go to the movies and things like that. So th those are the kind of uh, some of the things that they tend to be associated with in the, in the church world. Uh, but they, but again, uh, marked by the fact that they are not almost marked by what they're not, which right. is they're not part of uh, some other denominational group that tends to be the the focus. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, I just want to let people know, though, we're, we're not here trying to demonize any one particular group oh. or saying uh, every every person associated with X group is is evil or, or some something like that. Uh, right. I just want to make that uh, crystal clear to the audience. Um, yeah. And, and, and I hope not either, too, Dave, because because I'm still an independent Baptist. So I, I hope we're not demonizing <laughs> them all because I'm part of them. So, uh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Demonize my guest on the show. I don't think that's going to work very well. Um, no, but but um, I know we, we were talking before the show um, how there's this some beliefs in there, not all obviously, but that can be uh, damaging to to the body of Christ and damaging to people. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you want to un- unpack some of that for us. Sure, sure. So, so I, I would actually um, base what I'm about to say on some of the, the the writings that Paul did in First Corinthians, particularly chapter one, really one through three, that first section of, of First Corinthians, because um, Paul was addressing the church at Corinth there, and he was talking about the fact that they had really divvied themselves up behind. Mm-hmm. I was actually opened the, the Bible to that passage where they were saying, some said they were of Paul, some were of Apollos. Right. This is in chapter one and verse 12. Others are Cephas. So they were basically divvying up behind their favorite preacher at the end of the day. Right. Um, and then then they had this whole thing about baptism and they were, they were really focused in on, again, at best secondary issues. They might, I mean, I think in a lot of the cases they weren't even not even on the radar as important issues, but you could argue they were secondary issues at best. So he was he was he was upset with them, and he was addressing them and say, "Listen, the, you're missing the point." He says, and he says, "I didn't come to to baptize you, and I'm definitely not coming, you know, to support this preacher or another preacher. I've come to preach the gospel, and in fact, by focusing on these secondary and third and fourth level things, you are actually undermining the gospel." He says, "You make the gospel of none effect." That's the basis of what I'm about to say. So there's, um, in my experience, again, having grown up in the independent Baptist movement, I'm still part of it uh, myself, consider myself uh, part of that uh, movement as well. The thing that I have seen repeatedly is people lining up more behind a particular person um, or some pet doctrine. In some cases, things that, you know, I don't have a problem with you holding to it and you practicing it, but it's, if you really want to square it up against scripture, um, you're going to have a difficult time really putting a lot of validity behind it, uh, particularly things like Bible translations. Uh, again, believe that the, you know, God has preserved his word. I believe I have God's word with me, but uh, to hold God to Elizabethan English as the only way that he can speak to us, uh, so you're going to have a hard time with that again. If you right. want to hold I mean, that if, but if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me, right? <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. But, but all those things, if, you, if you're going to focus on that, what Paul says to the Corinthian church, those kinds of things, you are actually undermining what you propose to preach. You're preaching the gospel. And it's all, it's not about one preacher or another or one doc, even doctrinal system. Again, I'm not undermining doctrine. I think doctrine is foundational. But my doctrinal system, which I would argue, I'm confident, David, you and I, if we were to talk long enough, we'll find many things that we would not necessarily see eye to eye on doctrinally uh, because we're human beings and we come to different perspectives. Somebody's wrong, probably you, but that's that's, (laughs) I'm joking. Uh, But but seriously, somebody's wrong. So one thing's right. I believe God is is one. But nonetheless, um, the, the, the point of this is that it's not about some doctrinal system or some man or some institution, it's ultimately about one thing, and that is Jesus. Right. And um, I was I was struck as I, I was going through this passage in First Corinthians. Paul's talking about how there should be unity in Jesus, and we should be centering everything around Him. And I'm, I'm coming from a Baptist background, right? So within the Baptist, and I'm going to get these numbers a little bit off, but the order of magnitude is correct. I, I remember doing some research on this, and there are something like it's a couple of several hundred, if not a thousand or better, different sects of just Baptists. I mean, I'm not even talking about mm. the rest, Presbyterians, Methodists, and everything else, just Baptists. I mean, and, they, and they're narrow. I mean, there's some little groups that are, you know, five and 10 churches. If you go even on, on a, like a Wikipedia page and look at Baptists, you're going to see all these different denominations. And it's somewhere along the line, I mean, they had good reasons for doing what they did, I'm sure. 
but we've missed the boat somewhere along the line that this is not about what sign name of the on my sign it's about the savior that we're supposed to be following after and i believe what's happening there is in focusing whether it's from the pulpit or in the pew by focusing so much on pet doctrines denominational differences and those kinds of things uh, we have actually missed the mm. heart of what we say we believe, which I, again, I would argue none of those people in those whatever six, 700 different denominational sects, none of them would say that they don't believe in Jesus. They all believe in Jesus. They would say he's important, right? But mm. for some reason, they have now prioritized their history over who Jesus is. Right, right. I mean, I, I see that and I completely agree with you. Um, you know, there's different streams or sects or whatever. I mean, you could look at, at, you know, people would think, oh, it's reformed. Okay, that means everybody's a five-point Calvinist until you start yeah. dig, until you start digging in there and you say, wait a minute, but this guy says he's reformed. He believes in that. Yeah. Or you could go into uh, the charismatic side of things. You know, you got everything yeah. from the prosperity gospel, the word of faith, to just people who, who are just trying to operate, you know, everything and anywhere in between. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, to, to, to paint with a broad brush and say, well, you know, this is evil. Those people right. are evil. That belief system is evil. I, right. you know, I think we have to sit back and take, um, well, one, seriously examine it. And then right. also, why don't we just, what if we just sat down with people and asked what they believe? What if sure. we did that? Right. Because you say, you, you know, uh, you still identify with the independent fundamentalist Baptist, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, so if if I, as an outside observer, just said, "Well, I think this is what they believe," therefore, that's what you believe. Right? You know, you're, you're a King James version only, for instance, right? I, yeah. I make that make that assumption. Yeah. But I never asked you that. So, exactly. so, so what? So, I guess what does that mean to still identify with them, but not holding mm -hmm. to all of their I guess you would call a rigid, rigid belief system in some. Yeah, way. yeah, it, it's it's an interesting background for, and this is maybe just me personally, but the way I came to this because I, I grew up in my, my dad's home, and I still I love my dad, have a great relationship with my dad still to this day. Uh, we agree on so much. There's obviously things we may not 100% agree on, but but for the most part, he and I you know, have a really really good relationship. Uh, but I grew up in that in that environment, and then I hit my um, uh, my college years, and I went to. Um, one of our institutions, Bob Jones University. Uh, that's where I went to college. And at that time, I had a bit of a crisis of faith. Um, mm. Who am I? What do I really believe? And honestly, if, if, I were if that were happening to me today and knowing some of the language that I've kind of gathered over the years, I would have called it deconstruction. Uh, ah, that's what yeah. I really did at that time. It's like, what it kind of really see through everything that I've been taught and what do I actually believe? And I came to two conclusions, um, shortcut the discussion down to that. I came to two conclusions. The first was that if the Bible says it, I'm just going to believe it and go with it, whatever, wherever those chips tend to fall. Um, and that's not always comfortable, but we, I, I'm going to go down that path. And the second thing that I added to that, just to, to temper that a little bit, because there's a temptation, temptation, especially when you're young, to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. And that was, I'm just going to assume, because I know I've seen my dad, I've seen his life, I've seen how he lives and how he carries himself. I'm just going to assume, even if he's not 100% right, I'm going to assume he's not an idiot. That mm -hmm. he came to some conclusions. Again, we all, you know, let's be honest, we all get things wrong. Right. But I know my dad, and I know that he's not stupid in what he came to. So I'm going to at least give him some some respect and some honor and try to evaluate it and if i come to a different conclusion it'll be only because the bible i believe the bible tells me something different so those are those two things and and what that comes down to is when i look at the uh the the independent baptist movement i think there are so many good parts to it and good things to it i i love and for the most part this is not 100 percent true but i love more uh, traditional worship styles. And you're going to see that more often in uh, the independent Baptist movement. I, I, I love the, the emphasis on congregational polity, which is mm. a Baptist thing. I love that emphasis. I love the, the fact that we are, as a, as a larger Baptist movement, associated with the common man and not so much the, you know, the, the, the wealthy and the powerful. This is, this is a, this is of the people. So there's so many things I like about it and appreciate about it. And I believe the people that have influenced my life, I can point back to them. They influenced my life through the scriptures 
and they were people who believed a lot of the things that were that I grew up being taught. Um, so I, 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 I see the value in these people. And I think they're, it's a right thing for me to honor and respect those that I came from. And um, I've not come to such a conclusion that, that I need to believe in a different church structure. So I'm not going Presbyterian. Um, I don't believe I need to go into a different, uh, you know, radically different uh, uh, faith, like reform theology or, um, or even uh, like charismatics or anything like that. I, I don't, don't believe in those directions. So I can stay here mm -hmm. and, uh, and take the good because I think there's a lot of good. Right. and square what I would consider to be the not so good or the, the fringe things and square them with scripture and side with side with the Bible and uh, ignore it from, from my upbringing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I like that. I do. I like that outtake on things like, are there some good things about that? So that, I, I guess that means to me that it's like, well, I can, we, we can have this group. We can have this church over here. We're still belonging to, them but we don't practice exactly it or we're trying to do our best you know as fallible humans to to cast out what is wrong or yes. what's going to bring division or whatever that may be uh so so I, I mean i absolutely like that i mean i'm trying to do the same thing in my circle here right and i guess some might say the charismatic circle mm -hmm. uh, sure. i try to do the exact same thing like there's a lot of bad there's a lot of abuses happening Course. And, and I'm trying to be a part of the, I guess you would say the biblical foundation. Yeah. And and I and I see. I remember reading. Let me just make sure I got this correct. Yeah. So you you were talking about uh, you have I guess a history or something, an experience with handling sexual abuse of inside the church. Yes. Um, yes. How, so how did? Well, yeah. How how did that come about then? Yeah. Yeah. So I was uh, pastoring a church and um, <clears throat> there was a uh, youth leader and a deacon in the church who uh, uh, was was involved with some some abuse of one of the, the young people in the church. And um, the initial reaction, and I'll, I'll just kind of level with you, my initial response to it was, oh, my goodness, how do I protect everybody involved? And um, after some time of dealing with that and, you know, obviously trying to help the people involved myself, um, came to the conclusion, listen, man, you handled it dead wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. just because it, there was always this, something that I had ingrained in me and something I had personally had, had dealt with, which was, you know, you want to protect the institution, you want to protect the people, you want to protect, 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 but it's kind of thinking, I'm thinking about the, the, the phrase, I think Jesus says that, you know, that the truth shall set you free, you know, mm. and the, this is a situation where the truth is the right answer. And we also, I'm thinking about Paul's words in first Corinthians six, where he says, listen, you're going to be judging angels one day. Right. And, you know, at the end of the day, what Jesus has, has, a, has, has given us and has the power that he's given to his church is such that, he even says, is it Matthew 6, uh, Matthew 16, where he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I'm sitting over here trying to figure out how to finagle around this and how to protect my ministry and protect these people and protect this thing. And, and I'm going to be one day seated in a position to literally judge angelic beings. Right. And I'm sitting here trying to figure this out instead of just letting the chips fall where they may go ahead and do the right thing. In this case, I believed, and I, this is what I did. I took this to the to law enforcement, explained what had happened. The The man was arrested, charged with indecent liberties. He's on trial and are going to be going to trial now. Uh, so there's a whole thing that's working with that. I made decisions for myself in my own ministry because of that. Uh, I, I said, listen, I, I think I have I've got to step away from this ministry because of, uh, you know, how I handled that particular situation. And I wanted to protect my own family. So I thought mm -hmm. the right thing to do was to step away. Um, and knowing with full confidence, I, I, I want to, I don't want to pretend to you, David, that any of this was done without struggle or any of this was done without mm -hmm. any doubt or pain. Cause there was a lot and some time has passed since then, but the underlying thing that has come out of this is, is full total confidence that God works on a eternal timeline. Mm. Justice will be served to those who do wrong. That my job is not to try to finagle the outcome, whichever way I want it. If I wanted this guy to be punished or if I wanted this guy to be protected, 
My job is to do neither of those things. My job is to do what is right. And in this case, I believe we have, we live in a country. I happen to like living here. I believe in the, the, the goodness of America. As much as it's got problems, I believe in the goodness of our system. And I think the right answer in this environment is for us to turn those over to law enforcement. And then of course we have some practical things we can do underneath that. But this was a situation where I, I learned from that, that, you know, your temptation is going to be to try to put your hands on it and fix it. Right. You can't fix this. You can do some things to protect. And I think this is, uh, this is some of the lessons that I've learned. Um, and I can come back to this in a moment, but there's some things you can do to protect on the front end before mm-hmm. this thing happens. There's some things yeah. I think churches can do on the back end when you, once you've, once you've identified these are problems, but you can't fix this when someone sins against a child like this. Right. Um, you can't fix it. Uh, you have to do the best you can to nurture and care and love for the victim. And, and, and you have to address the, address the center in this case. Right. Um, so I think that, that that's that, that was a tough situation that I've dealt with and still really, frankly, still dealing with some of the, the after effects of it, mm. um, even as we speak. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand. You know, I mean, that's the way it is in the army or it was anyways, you know, it yeah. was like, oh, let's try to keep this in-house. Yeah. You know, yeah. person goes out, get a DUI. DUI is a pretty serious crime, even though, even if nobody was hurt. Now let's yeah. just try to keep it in-house. So let's try. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I think it's uh, any, well, I guess, group think type of mentality, right. protect the group, protect the herd, whatever you want to call it. Yep. Um, and while it's not, you know, I, I hate to put it this way, but it's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not right. And I believe, mm-hmm. I, I just say, I believe according to scripture, you did the right thing because yep. Paul, Paul, like in first Corinthians, he's writing to this church. He's like, Hey, you know, this sexual morality, you know, of course it was the guy sleeping with his mother-in-law. Right. I mean, right. It's like, Hey, here's one thing, you know, when this type of stuff is happening in their church, what do you do? Uh, you basically excommunicate them yep, um, exactly. as much as that hurts. Right. Yeah, and, and, I, and, and that's a, that, that passage there in first Corinthians five is a great one to bring up because, you know, one of the, one of the pieces of pushback that you'll get in this conversation is, well, what if it's a false accusation or what if, you know, lots of these, what ifs that come out of this? Well, or, or what if this guy repents or what, you know, there's all kinds of different things of the, what ifs. If right. you go to the first Corinthians five situation, first of all, um, it was clear this guy was doing it, right? Uh, so that was clear. I mean, obviously, if there's false accusations, we have to be careful there. But again, that's where maybe you do let the law enforcement, in fact, maybe you do let the law enforcement come in, let them make a judgment. In this case, uh, they arrested him. They've indicted him. Uh, again, there, there's a trial process, and we're going to let that that run its course. But there's not a question. It happened. Right. You know, it's a question of how they're going to penalize him, but it's not a question of it happened. So there's that. Then second of all, uh, in that where he talks about how you're turning this person over to Satan, I believe is the way he talks about that. Yeah. And, and you're going to try to, 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 to treat him as one who's outside of the church. And what I keep coming back to is how do you treat people outside of the church? Well, you're not mean to them. You don't banish them. You don't, you're not hateful to them. You love them. You show them and teach them the gospel. What you don't do if somebody's outside the church, at least I hope you don't, is you're not reassuring them that they're okay and they're on their way to heaven. Right. The fact of the matter is you're trying to show them that they need a savior. They need the gospel. And someone who's acting in this way, the first Corinthians five man, he's acting in a way that proves by his behavior that he truly doesn't believe the gospel. He says he believes right. now, again, we can kind of get into what's in his heart and I, I don't know, but I'm just telling you, I'm looking at your fruit, man. And your fruit is yeah. telling me that you're not what you say you are. And until and unless you show, and we, we sort of show that exhibit uh, that that exhibited outside, I can't I can't endorse you. I mean, I just can't. Um, so I have to treat you as one who's outside, which yeah. actually gets to me. And if, if you don't mind me rambling on for just another second, David, sure. gets me to the what do you do after the fact? And this is where I think some churches, a lot of churches, get this wrong. Mm-hmm. Is okay. So now that this thing is identified, it's been reported, and now what do you do? Well, um, you're you're hopeful that uh, there's a little bit of shame that's associated with with this, and the man decides to kind of go off somewhere else, and even even you know hopefully gets his life right, but sort of establishes himself in another place in another way, just because there's been damage done in that flock. But in too many times, again, either they try to cover it up, or there is this uh, cheap forgiveness that comes in. 
oh yeah, it's okay. You're, you know, everybody does things wrong. Everybody gets it wrong sometimes. And I get that. We, we all get things wrong. We all, who among us does not have sin? I've got sin. I, I, I mean, I don't know your life, but I'm confident you've got sin too. Uh, so that's not about who's got sin, who doesn't have sin. Right. But if on the other hand, if I were to come over to your house and break down your door or do damage to your home or to your, your property in some way, yeah, I might be able to be forgiven. But let me just say, you'd be dumb to let me come back to your house again or, or to invite me on top right. of that. Right. You're, you're going to say, Matthew, it's not wise. The same thing within churches, um, you know, especially when we're talking about sexual predators against minors, but even against, uh, you know, people in authority under the over those that are under them, even if they're not minors. These people have clearly manifest a, a pattern of behavior that churches have to protect. Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about his little ones. And he cares about his little ones. And I know he's not just talking about children there, but the application still applies. If Jesus cares about them, we as a church need to be more concerned about those little ones being hurt than we are about hurting somebody's feelings. And then finally, right. I'll say that if you are truly repentant, what's going to happen is you're going, and this is, this is the way repentance works, by the way, you're going to say, I deserve the worst. God, I deserve the worst. I'm confessing it. I see it the way you see it. And whatever comes, I'm going to take it and just say it's what I deserve. The good news, this is the gospel, right? Yeah. good news is God is so merciful. He doesn't give me the worst. Now, he might allow me to affect, uh, feel some of the effects, some of the short-term consequences. In this case, it might be that I might have to go ahead and confess. Listen, I'm, I did this thing, this terrible thing. I'm going to have to maybe do some time in prison. I might have to be on a sexual registry, uh, a sexual offense registry, you know, whatever those consequences are. But the ultimate price going to hell for eternity, I don't have to pay that. Jesus has paid that debt. So the, the point of all this is as a church, we don't have to protect people from the damage of sin. Right. God did that. I just I think we, 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 we overcomplicate this and try to fix too much. Um, yeah. And in doing so, I think we create more problems. I, I would agree. I mean, and not to mention, you say everybody has sin. Yeah, but the Bible makes it crystal clear that there are, while all sin will get us to hell, for not, sure. all, not all sin is equal, right? Oh, like you made sure. the point, right? Like same thing if I came home, two different scenarios. Right? I, I went out somewhere. I come home and confess to my wife, hey, honey, I was I kind of overate. Yeah. You know, it was really good food. I just, I just, I'm sorry. I was very gluttonous today. Yeah. She came back. It's all right. It's okay. Don't now, if I again. come home to my right, if I come home to my wife and say, "Honey, you know what? I just slept around with some women." I guarantee yep. I'm going to get a completely different reaction from exactly. her. Exactly. Right. And, and and she would be wrong not to have a different. Reaction. Exactly. Exactly. So and I think we I think we confuse with the yeah um, everybody sins with uh, the different levels of uh, different types of sin. I mean, we could just go back to Leviticus. Yes. Um, where uh, Leviticus, I think it's 18 and 20, where, where God is giving instructions to Israel, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm, you're going to punish the nations. Why? He didn't punish them for mixing fabrics. He didn't mm -hmm. punish them for the, for not no. eating kosher. He no. punished them for sexual morality and sacrificing uh, children to Molech. That's um, right. So, so all those other laws, they, they weren't punished for. Before these laws, so if if every sin is equal, then why weren't they punished for? But they right. weren't, and so I love how you mentioned. Um, yeah, you you mentioned Matt, Matthew eighteen. I know that Matthew eighteen mainly has to do with uh, church discipline. Yeah. Um, so I, I wonder. I, I am curious, and um, you know, we have a I guess a set structure that Jesus kind of lays out. I know we can't follow yeah. it to the letter all the time. Sure, I understand sure. that, but I, I wonder. I wonder. I wonder how would church leaders are able to handle a possible false accusation um, without damaging the accused, um, yep. perhaps following a bit of Matthew 18, where, you know, you know, you talk to the person face to face about it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, plus that's common sense, right? There's two sides to every story. So let's, let's, let's start finding out what really happened. Okay. Um, and then I guess just kind of go from there, but I, I wonder, yep. I, I know it can't happen all the time. I get like, like in a situation we're describing or, something else um and um but 
I wonder. Well, well, Matthew 18, though, is an interesting passage because it. you're right that at the heart of it is that sort of uh, church discipline passage right there in the middle of it. But that whole chapter is Jesus talking about the whole, the big concept of forgiveness and repentance and renewal. Right. So about restoring. Early on about how basically we've all sinned. And we've all needed someone to pursue us, that that one, that shepherd who goes and finds the one. And so that those those words of, of you know, addressing sin in the church, you know, the church discipline steps that you're talking about, that comes right after that section where he's talking about the shepherd who goes and finds the one. Right. All that to bring up the fact that there this whole thing of forgiveness is a two-way street. So there's on the one hand, there is, talk about the church, let's just use the, the example of the church. The church has a responsibility to forgive and address sin and forgive that sin. There's also a responsibility for the church to go and address it, not to let it slide, especially whenever these things, I mean, let's hope we're letting some things slide that are just, you know, small offenses. But but I'm talking about things where people are damaged and hurt. We're not letting this stuff slide. We're going out and finding these people. And by the way, we're talking about right now, obviously, sexual sin and, you know, hurting children and things like that. But what about that person who doesn't show up to church in, in a long time or, or clearly their lifestyle is showing that they are not uh, really identifying with Christ any longer? I think there's a responsibility for the church to pursue that person. On the Absolutely. other hand, there is a there's a responsibility for forgiveness. If that person really comes back and says, listen, I messed up. I have, you know, remember, because in that same chapter, there's the story of the. Um, I think it's called the unjust servant or something to that. I'm, I'm mis misnaming it, but it's where the, the guy gets forgiven the big debt. And then he goes out yeah. and chokes his uh, fellow servant who owes him a small debt. Right. There's a responsibility to recognize we've all been forgiven of a debt that we could never pay. So Absolutely. to make sure that we have that. So it's this two-way street and it's never to, um, to, to, to just overlook sin. Cause I think you and I are on the same page, you know? Yeah. Some things, absolutely, you cannot just look the other way. But at the same time, we don't have to throw the book and th you know, burn people at the stake and hang them from the, the gallows because they did something we don't like. Yeah. There is a response. There's this, there's a, there's a forgiveness that happens there. And I hope I'm not, hope it comes across correctly. I'm not trying to speak out of both sides of my mouth. I'm saying nope. that forgiveness is not cheap or easy but also we, so, cause that's what we end up doing. Good one spectrum or the other, we forgive everything or we're so judgmental. We don't forgive anything. Right. And Jesus is neither of those things. He's well, very I mean, forgiving and loving. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I mean, you're right. Cause, cause I'm, I'm like, yeah, you're right. It, 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 yeah. You're right. Before he talks about that sins against you. Yeah. It's all about going after the lost sheep. Yep. Uh, we know even, even when Paul addresses the church in Corinth and says to hand him over to Satan, even in that passage, he mentions it for the redemption. That's right. Maybe they'll be right. brought back, right? And, and we even know, even James, I think it's, I, I had this wrong one time. Uh, yeah, no, it is James about restoring lost brother, right? And yeah. that you will cover a multitude of sins. That's right. So, so re regardless of, of the outcome, it's our responsibility to seek with a heart of redemption, even, even in the worst. Because I remember, I know it's, uh, about Son of Sam. I don't know how many people uh, know about mm -hmm. it, but, you know, he became a Christian. A born again oh, believer, yeah. yeah. And so while he was on death row, uh, there are people like, "Hey, why don't you appeal this verdict? You're you're a born again believer now." And he was like, "Nope, nope. I'm going to take what I deserve. I deserve, I deserve this for what I've done." Right. So was he forgiven by God? Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, sir. Um, he was redeemed, and and in in every sense of the word that you can imagine. But you know, hey, even the Bible says we uh, we we uh, reap what we sow. So right. sometimes there's going to be some, some hard, hard, hard reaping that we're going to have to follow, but all in the name of redemption. Yes. You know, and because there, there is no redemption when I do not look my sin in the eye and understand it for what it is. If I use your, your example of, you know, committing adultery, for example, using that, if I'm going to go out there and I just want to excuse it as, you know, Oh, that was a oops mistake or, Oh, it wasn't as bad as you think it was. But I, but I am, you know, whether or not my wife should forgive me, not even an issue until I at least address the fact that I did what I did and did right. wrong. 
because I there's no hope and no help for me. There's no repentance if I don't. I mean, why am I repenting of it if I'm not even going to cop to it? You know, right. if I'm not even going to say that I did it, what am I repenting of? So there's no repentance without acknowledgement or confessing. This is First uh, John one nine. If yeah. we confess our sins, He will forgive us. The confession is not just saying words, but it's actually saying I acknowledge what you what I did was wrong, and yeah. I see it the way you see it, God. And until we're able to do that, there's no forgiveness. So, so there's no hope and no help for somebody who uh, is never addressed. And, and I would say in a lot of churches, there's a lot of sin that's going on. Some of it's out of ignorance, right. but some of it's out of, of willfulness. But either way, those people are getting no help by just listening to a sermon from the pulpit when that same pastor, the deacons, the other members of the church know what's going on and don't address it. And that person assumes rightly or wrongly, or just decides to assume uh, that their sin's okay, or their sin's not that bad. We're doing right. everybody a disservice. It's like me having cancer, going to the doctor, the doctor seeing, it, and it's like, oh, I don't want to mess up his day. Like, no, yeah. mess up my day, sir, please, because yeah. I want to fix this. Yeah, I mean, I like to say, I've used that same analogy, meant a little different, but still uh, pretty much the same. And anyway, you know, so same way that I think many pastors, if they were doctors, would be sued for malpractice today. Yeah, agree. You know, agreed. I mean, because think about it. If you go to that doctor, right, he, he doesn't want to make you feel bad, yeah. whatever. And, he, and, you know, you get the test come back and he just says, everything is cool. Don't worry yeah. about it. Six months later, you come back and say, dude, I'm dying right now. Yeah, right. Why didn't you tell me back then? You bet, you bet, you know, you would sue his, his pants off of him. That's right. Right, Exactly. And to be fair to the pastors that we're we're accusing here, because I'm with you on this, but to be fair to them, what we just said is not easy. That's hard. No, that's hard. I mean, to look somebody in the eye and say, listen, what you're doing is sin and you need to address it. Um, That's hard. I mean, I I say that because I've I've had to be in some situations where I've addressed some stuff and, and it's just like you just feel like am I being stupid here? Am I being invasive? So I'll, I can sympathize with it, but I will say going to um, it's Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews, um, I think it's 12, 13 there. I think it's chapter 13, where one day as a pastor, if you are in that oh. position to be a pastor, you are going to give an account for the flock that God has put under your care. And it's not to say that you're to, to boss them around because you're not to lord over the flock of God, not right. at all. But it is to say, like you were just talking about, you have a responsibility to practice pastoring. And if you don't do it right, God's going to get you for malpractice. Um, And you are going to be accountable for that. And sometimes it gets us now. I mean, we just have to look at, you know, I'm not picking on anyone's side, but we see Mm -hmm. the exposure happening in the media. Now imagine what would have happened if, if in whatever said church, Yes. No matter who they are, if that sin was confronted then and there, one exactly. I, a lot less damage would have been done for sure within the body of Christ, right? Yep. Two, I, I don't, you know, uh, Christianity wouldn't look like such a horrible thing to to the world, which mm-hmm. which that which that happens. Yep. And and you know, not to mention, um, you might have saved that person some embarrassment, but now really? there's no there, there's no choice. Yes. But for, because now it's in the public, man. And right. you know, I'm not That's saying right. that, I'm not saying anybody would have de- would be uh, restored to ministry per se. Not necessarily. But, yeah. You know, but and, 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 but, but but that actually gets back to the point of all this is, you know, being restored to ministry, you know, as if that's a right that I have or you have. None of us has that right. In fact, God's church will go forward no matter, you know, even back to the beginning of our conversation, God's church will go forward even if, you know, I don't have a particular uh, brand of denomination on my sign of my church, God's church will go forward. Even if I never pastor another church or preach another sermon, he's even said that he'll make the rocks cry out if he needs to. He doesn't need us. This is one thing I'm confident of. God wants us. He loves us. He rejoices over us, but he does not need us. He is fully God and fully able to accomplish his plans without me. He just chooses in his grace to use me. So my jo- my job and your job as the body of Christ is to obey him, to follow him, to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, regardless of what the where the what that means. That may mean we lose our lives, but we're willing to do that because we know he's right and he'll figure out if the church needs to grow, if a new church needs to be planted, if 
if new people need to be saved. He will accomplish that. My job is to obey him. The problem we have is we feel like we, we know better somehow than right. God because we've, I don't know what we think we figured out, but I, I put <laughs> myself in the same boat, but if we figure out something and we think we got an answer and, and we dare. I'm, and now I'm getting on my own, my own sins here, but I dare to tell God, Hey, I need you to do this for me, God. Right. Like, I, like he, like he's my messenger boy. No, he, he, he tells me what to do and I obey him. Yeah. I, I'm sure we've covered some lessons learned. Um, yeah. but, uh, what, what other lessons learned so we can help? Cause I mean, this podcast, the show is really about just equipping the saints really sure. honestly. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, quote unquote, layperson saint, you know, or, or some leader in the church somewhere. It doesn't matter. It's all about equipping. Um, so, and I believe that, you know, as leaders, we need a bit yep. more humility anyways, yep. Yep. Um, speaking for myself. Um, but what, so, so what, are, what are some, some of these lessons learned um, that, so we can help other people out there as well? Yeah. So, so I'll give you a couple um, particular to the um, sexual abuse um, issue. Uh, some lessons learned there when it comes to particularly for children, um, the church should not be worried about embarrassing anybody to protect the children. What I mean by that is I think sometimes we assume, you know, oh, Joe, he's a good old boy. He's been doing that for years. Don't worry about it. He's fine. Uh, or oh, don't worry about how he said that thing. That's just how he is. No, there, there's lines. And we, I think God puts in us these feelings that help us understand. What's that? I turned my mic off. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, okay, for a second okay, sorry. Uh, but I was saying, you know, God puts in us these, these feelings. I think, I think that we recognize things that are wrong. And I think we, we, we hold back and try to try not to embarrass people or try not to hurt people when it comes to protecting the children. I think we've got to, you know, take, take those off the, off the wall and just make sure that we are, we are doing what's right by the, by the little ones in our churches. Mm. Um, too many churches that they're, they're breeding grounds for this kind of garbage because we, we lower our, our barriers. We've been burned this way in our own experience, me and my family, where we was like, you know, that's a safe place going to church. Right. The fact is it should be, but we don't put the guardrails up to do that because we're worried about offending this family because, oh, they give a lot of money to the church. So they're fine or offending this guy. Cause he's been here for 20 years. So he must be fine. No. We all are, we are all fallen creatures. The pastor down to the newest member all need to be on guard and nobody should be embarrassed about that. Well, right. if you're embarrassed about it, I'm sorry, but we're going to go ahead and do it. So that means putting practical things in place, you know, not letting one person be alone with groups of children or even one child for that matter, uh, mm -hmm. especially if they're not your children. Uh, that means uh, making sure that there's, um, good safeguards like teaching and tra I mean, training around some of these things, watching out for grooming behaviors. I mean, these are real practical, practical things, but the point is we should be willing to do it. And you may say, and I think this is what people's resistance is, is why well, do I have to do this as a church? Well, that's actually why you should do it because it's a church, because it matters and these people matter. So I think that's, that's for sure. One thing. I think the second thing I would do to your point about, you know, leaders in churches needing to have some humility, I think, um, you know, pastors um, ought to be willing to submit more than they do. I, I, I believe in pastoral authority. I believe that pastors have responsibilities to their churches, but I believe that pastors also need to find a way because none of us are, as you say, above the law. Every person needs to find a way to, to put themselves under submission within, the, within their own congregations. So they need to find a way. Now, practically, this is probably the one piece of advice that's been given to me that I've tried to follow is mm. you know, to find somebody, an, an older saint in your in your congregation that you can go to and say, hold me accountable yeah. and let them let them speak to you, speak into your life uh, and be as open to them as you reasonably can be so that you have that accountability. And there might even be, you know, for anything, you know, whether it's technology to, you know, monitor salt, monitoring salt, I mean, whatever that looks like. I mean, I'm not trying to dictate the details, but right. the point is, as the leaders being willing to submit ourselves unto the authority of others, because that's where, you know, you've seen this, um, probably seen this uh, podcast about the Mars Hill Church out in Seattle, Washington, with uh, Mark Driscoll and some of the mm. things that he did. And he's just one example of, you know, several where people have gone off the rails. 
And a lot of that's because we're not willing to submit ourselves as leaders to the authority because, oh, we're the big preacher man and nobody can tell us what to do. Well, as far as I can tell in the Bible, while there are qualifications for a pastor and the pastor does have certain responsibilities, he is not anywhere above anything. In fact, if anything, he's held to a higher standard <laughs> and right. is accountable and more accountable than anybody else in the church. Right. So I think those those are two things that I would say is do everything you can to protect the children, put policies in place, put restrictions in place, put cameras in the place if you've got to, whatever it is you've got to do to make sure that the children are protected. And I don't care who gets embarrassed, do it. Mm -hmm. And then the pastors need accountability. The final thing I'll say is um, when when the law is broken, that's not an in-house, it's not an in-house matter. Right. Uh, uh, you know, it's in-house if, you know, you are, you know, um, you know, let's say, you know, a man in, in the church is looking at pornography and let's assume it's, you know, legal pornography. That's not a law issue. That's, that's a spiritual issue. And we need to deal with that as a spiritual matter. But if he's, uh, if he's messing with children, that's breaking the law. I don't care. I, I don't, I don't care who you are. That's breaking the law. And that's, yeah, we'll deal with the spiritual matter, but we've got to deal with this as a, as a criminal matter. And churches right. have got to see that as, as, a, as a line that we can't cross. We need to let the criminal uh, law take effect where the criminal law needs to be taken effect. Yeah, I agree. And I, I love, yeah, you're right. Because in First Timothy 3, it, it lists all these qualifications for mm -hmm. a leader. You know, husband of one man, yeah. self-control, not yeah. giving a strong drink, all that, all that kind of stuff down there. Yep. But what it doesn't say is, oh, by the way, they don't have to be submitted to anybody, no. you know, or nothing like that. And I love how you made that point of of uh, finding, you know, obviously somebody more older than you to sure. that you can depend on. Because I think a lot of pastors out there also have the attitude of I can't let anybody know I have any problems. I'm supposed oh, to be a pastor. My life is supposed to be all together, right? Mm -hmm. And it gets oh, oh, and then I think, well, depends on the church uh, structure and everything, sure. obviously, but. I think a lot of pastors um, will will um, think to you know think themselves out of a job. In other words, and I'll be pastor burnout. I can't confess yeah. this to anybody. Oh yeah, I can't, I can't let anybody know I'm having trouble. This, 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 yeah. and um, and that's the exact opposite. I mean, notice in, in in James says confess your sins one to another. It didn't give any qualifications on on how that's supposed to go. Is it, is there no. a pecking order in that? No, 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 there's no. not. And so I love how you how you um, um, did that. Yeah. I think it's it's perfectly biblical and you right. know it's, so well and, and actually I think if you go to Titus two where the the pastor is to be an example to the the congregation I think one way we can be examples in really disciple making is by being uh, transparent and authentic and vulnerable. Now, again, if you're into deep sin and you're transparent about that, you've disqualified yourself from the ministry and you need to let those chips fall where they need to fall. Right. But the fact that you're struggling with depression or the fact that you're struggling with um, uh, some sickness or the fact that you, you know, having difficulty making a decision or your your devotional time with the Lord isn't as sweet as it used to be. All those things. I think some transparency to the congregation to say, listen, I'm a human being. I deal with this stuff, too. And I'm actually, here's what I'm doing biblically to address these things. Hmm. That's actually powerful to people. Uh, whereas I think, unfortunately, we get these preachers who are up on some pedestal and people think, well, I'll never be as good as him. I'll never be right. that good. Well, first of all, he's not as good as you think he is, first of all. Yep. <laughs> and second of all, if he's really become that, then he now is your God. And Jesus is, because Jesus is the only perfect one. So right. I, I think that 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 some level of trend, and again, we got to be careful. I mean, I, yeah. we're not trying to, you know, make make the make the house of the Lord some kind of uh, free for all. Confess everything, you know. We're you know we're just you know you you get there's a limit to this, but right. this idea of authentic authenticity, transparency, reasonable confession, making sure your life is open to people that you're living out in the open, you're not hiding stuff in corners. That is actually the, the, I think that is a biblical example of how Christians should live. So pastors, if anybody else should model that for people. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I was drilled into me in the army, lead by example, lead by example, lead by example. Exactly. You know, lead from the front, lead from, you know, that's right. Time, 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 time. So it became just a, a part of my life. And, and yep. albeit there's times in my life that I failed it miserably. Yep. And of course there's still times now that I, 
that I don't do it, you know, as I should, but it's still ingrained in me to do it, even if I do fall short. And so, yeah, yeah, you know, it's the right thing to do, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. So I I think this is really going to, really going to help a lot of people out there. Uh, who knows what, what what may be going on. Maybe they just need, well, yeah, I can do this better. Well, great. Praise God. Or yeah, yeah I do have this deep sin going on in my church and, and it's time to clean house. So praise God on that. Yes. Or, or it could be the person who's in seminary or Bible college or who knows uh, they may be an associate pastor, lay pastor or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, or they're not in leadership, but they know that someday maybe they are called either way. This, this is going to prepare people for that. Cause um, I, I'll be honest. Uh, it's better to get prepared before you get into the position. Absolutely. Um, then know what you're going to do before it happens. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. R- if, than- I could, if I could, David, just to give you this one thought, and I'll, I'll be quiet after this because I think we need to wrap here, I think. But let me give you this. I, I think that we need to trust God in the way that we say we trust God. If we believe that he can save our souls from hell and take us to heaven when we die, he for sure can deal with how whenever we have these problems in our churches, whenever we have as a pastor, we we need to, to lead appropriately. We need to do what he tells us to do and trust him to work it out. We're so, and I'm saying myself included, we're so nervous about doing some of the things the Bible says because it makes you uncomfortable to do that. But if you do what he says, I believe God's faithful. He has been before, he'll do it again. He's faithful to do the right thing. The judge of the world, judge of the earth will do right. I can, right. We can trust him and we need to trust him practically in these things as well. Absolutely. That's a great point. That's a great point to end on. So with that, uh, why don't you tell people um, this is, this is your time to shamelessly plug yourself. So yeah. where, how can people get a hold of uh, you? Do you have a website uh, where, you know, what about social media? Right. So um, I am uh, really very limited on social media. Let me back up and say, I, I, I'm a nobody. I'm just, a, I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm a guy, I got a family. Uh, so I'm, you know, not a whole lot of much of anything, but uh, if you wanted to, to follow me at all, I am on Twitter. Uh, pastor Tilly is the handle, uh, Pastor T-I-L-L-E-Y. And I do have a website, which is also linked to from my Twitter, but it's uh, mjtilly.wordpress.com. Um, and that's where you'd be able to find uh, sermons and things like that, that, I, that in some of my writings, um, but uh, not a ton out there, just a bunch of, I've got a podcast platform, but it's really just a bunch of sermons is really all it is. I don't have a show like you're doing here, but uh, so yeah, just a guy. So I'm glad to talk to anybody. If anybody wanted to reach out, glad to talk. I uh, hope I hope I was helpful a little bit today and certainly enjoyed uh, talking and meeting, meeting you, David. Yeah, I definitely, definitely thoroughly enjoyed this. So with that, we're going to wrap up this show for today. So be blessed, everybody. I'll see you next time.